Well, we, if you're new with us today, we're in a series through Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, otherwise known as Philippians in the New Testament. And uh, we are in chapter 4, verses 8 and 9 this morning, just two verses. But as is our tradition, would you stand with me and let's read our scripture together. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is God's word. You may be seated. Well, with that word, finally, there at the beginning of verse 8, Paul's signaling that he's coming to the end in these two verses of his instructional portion of the letter. We might say it's not actually the end, but you can see it from here. We're, we're just going to be about two more weeks after, after today in Philippians, and then we will be done. In this passage, in this short passage, Paul issues two commands, and he gives them a promise. In verse 8, the command is, think about these things, and in verse 9, practice these things. And then the promise at the close of verse 9 is that the God of peace will be with you. So in these two verses, these two short but packed verses, Paul gives us two commands to obey and a promise to receive, some things on which to proactively fix our minds, some things to proactively emulate and put into practice, and a presence to be experienced. And I want to begin this morning at the end. Let's begin with the promise, the promise, which is the God of peace will be with you. You may notice right away in verse 9, if you've been here the last few weeks, that there's an echo of verse 7. In verse 7, Paul promised, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In verse 9, he says, the God of peace will be with you. The peace of God and the God of peace. Paul is still on the subject of the experience of peace, specifically the personal inward experience of the peace of God. And here he adds the the personal and mutual experience of the presence of God, the God of peace with us and among us. We saw last week that peace with God is a fact of life for those who, by faith, have trusted in Christ. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So peace describes our new position before God or the new status of our relationship with Him because of one thing, and that one thing is the cross of Jesus Christ. At the cross, God's wrath toward our sin was satisfied. Jesus Christ, the unblemished Lamb of God, bore our sins in His own body on the cross. He became our sin-bearer and our wrath-absorber. He died our death and paid our debt as our perfect sinless 
substitute. He died the death we should have died. He made final payment in full for the debt that we couldn't pay. So that as he died, his final words were, it is finished, or translated another way, paid in full. As a result, you and I, as you and I believe in Jesus as our Savior and transfer our trust to him, and his perfect accomplishment on our behalf at the cross, our sins are removed far from us. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, God is now at peace with us, and we are at peace with him. Do you understand that this morning? God is at peace with you. You may often feel like, how could God be at peace with me? I keep blowing it. I keep failing in every possible way. The message of the cross is that God is at peace with us. We have peace with God. We are at peace with him. But as we also began to see last week, the fullness of the experience of that peace, the peace of God, is in fact contingent on choices that you and I make. You can be a child of God at peace with him positionally, but not be experiencing the peace that he wants to give to you. Not experiencing the peace that he offers to you day by day, moment by moment. And I would venture to say that this describes many of us. Last week we saw one major clue to the experience of the peace of God, which is prayer. Don't be anxious about anything, Paul said, but pray about everything. Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And that picture of casting, I was thinking about this this morning. You know, this is this was in First Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Peter was a fisherman. And, and the word cast here is the same word that was used of the fishermen in the Gospels as they were casting their nets. So Peter's saying, look, just throw it. Throw it onto God. Just let him have it. He cares for you. His anxieties are for you. Let him be anxious for you. That word cares is uh, not the same word as as anxiety, but it's a synonym, and it, it means basically the same thing. Cast all your anxiety on him because you are the object of his anxiety. You are the object of his concern. He's paying attention to you moment by moment, day by day. He has willingly made you the object of his concern. The presence of the God of peace with us is also a fact because he has promised us his abiding presence. You know, at Christmas, we celebrate the name that the prophet said would characterize the Messiah, Emmanuel, which means God with us. God said to Joshua and through him to all of Israel, I will not leave you or forsake you. Jesus said to his disciples, I am with you always to the very end of the age. In the upper room on that evening before Jesus was betrayed and arrested and and tried and crucified, he made this promise to them. I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. 
The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, isn't it interesting? Let's want to just pause right there for a moment. Jesus is talking about this advocate that's, that's going to come and be with us, and he's talking about the Holy Spirit who will live with us and in us. But Jesus says in the very next phrase, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is as the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church on the day of Pentecost, he universalized, if you will, the presence of Christ in every believer. By the Holy Spirit, Jesus lives in you. We we say to children, would you like to ask Jesus to come into your heart? And that language isn't even in the Bible, but the, but the concept is, the truth is that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of Christ takes up residence in our lives, lives within us. Jesus goes on, before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Amazing. See, but it's very possible that that we may not experience the sense of the presence of God with us, in us, among us, because we're making personal choices that war against that awareness. Now, the pronoun you here in verse 9 of Philippians 4 is noteworthy. It's in the second person plural. You say, well, that sounds terribly boring. I feel like I'm back in English class. Well, why is it important? Paul's promise is that each of the Philippians and all of them together as a church family, as they say in the South, y'all and all y'all, will experience the presence of the peace of God and the God of peace among them, as you'll recall from some previous messages not too long ago, they were a church working through internal conflict that started seemingly with two people and threatened to spread, or possibly had already spread, throughout the entire church. For them, as for all of us who experience conflict every day and in every way, the the promise of the gifts of God's peace and God's presence were timely and essential. And so now we come to the two commands. And what Paul warned the Philippians and wanted the Philippians to understand, what I hope you'll be reminded of this morning, is that your mind matters. Your mind matters. And your models, those after whom you are choosing to pattern your life also matter to the experience of peace in your personal life, in your own heart and mind, as well as to our experience of peace within the communal relational life of the church. I don't miss and don't fail to comprehend that, that these are given as commands. They're meant to be obeyed. The experience of peace is a choice. 
More accurately, a series of choices that you and I today are called upon to obediently make as followers of Jesus and members of one body. Here's the first command. Think about these things. Think about these things. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, I came across this picture as I was preparing today's PowerPoint. And there's a definite social message there, isn't there? But I think it could also read, make the church think again. Make the church think again. So many Christ followers have stopped applying their minds to their faith. Stopped thinking about their faith, what it ought to mean in terms of their values and their lifestyle choices. And as a result, their lives are often indistinguishable from those of their pagan neighbors. We ought to ask ourselves, is there any fundamental difference between us in our values, the way we spend our money, the way we spend our time, the fundamental choices of our lives? Your mind matters. There was a day when a teacher of the law came to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, Rabbi, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Love the Lord your God with all of your mind. Thought about loving God with your mind? Paul wrote in Romans 12, verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Are you a discerning Christian? Are you a thinking Christian? Are you loving God with your mind? Are you experiencing the transformation that comes from the renewal of your mind? See, all Christian discipleship begins here with your mind. It begins with your thought processes, what you apply yourself to, what you believe, what you accept. Paul wrote to Timothy, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Power, love, and a sound mind. Sound mind is also translated in some of your Bibles, self-discipline, or by implication then, a disciplined mind. William Barclay, a Scottish theologian, wrote that it's a law of life that if a man thinks of something often enough, he will come to the stage when he cannot stop thinking about it. His thoughts will be quite literally in a groove out of which he cannot easily extract them. 
It is therefore of the first importance that a man should set his thoughts upon the fine things. In Philippians 4.8, the word Paul uses that's translated think is the Greek word logizomai. Logizomai, it's the word from which we get words like logic and logistics. It means to think about. It means to consider, to ponder, to let one's mind dwell on, to reckon, to reason to a logical conclusion, to think something all the way through to its end. And Paul is saying, Christian, steward your mind. Apply your mind, your powers of reasoning. As the peace of God is guarding your mind, so you must be disciplined and discerning in what you allow your mind to be exposed to, the philosophies, the perspectives you allow yourself to accept, in the conclusions at which you arrive and and what you therefore believe and allow to shape your life. The Old Testament writers referred to these things as meditations. They understood the power of the mind and, and how careful one needs to be in guarding their minds in order to live lives that are pleasing to God. Over and over again, the writers call upon God to search their minds, search their hearts, to consider their meditations, and to correct them when they are succumbing to falsehood and to deception. Most of verse 8 is taken up with the kinds of things on which we ought to allow our minds to dwell, what we ought to think about. So let's take a look at each of those things that he lists. The first is whatever is true. Alethes is the Greek word. What, it means what conforms to reality, what is undeniably genuine, what will ultimately be proven to be factual. I wonder if you'd agree this morning that there's a great deal of falsehood promulgated at every level of society. Would you agree that to the degree that we're casual about our reading and study of God's Word, our meditation on it, and our obedience to it, we will be vulnerable to deception. You see, the first step in applying your mind and loving the Lord your God with all of your mind is to have a daily diet of His Word. And if you're only reading the Bible when when we read it together here at LifePoint, You're not loving the Lord with your mind. You need to be in the Word every day. Every day. Second thing he lists here is whatever is honorable, semna. And the word represents those things that are weighty, that are dignified, that are, if you will, majestic, that that inspire reverence, that inspire awe. And I think Paul is saying here, don't be a lightweight Christian. Don't be a lightweight thinker. Don't be what I sometimes call a national inquirer kind of Christian. Uh, Don't waste your time or your mind on things that are silly or superficial or questionable, conspiratorial. And I can't tell you how many emails I receive, Facebook links, links to articles, from people that say, oh, Pastor Jim, you've got to read this. And it's when I read it, I realize it's some fringe thing that, that's out there in, you know, in the ether. 
may, may be true, maybe not, but not worthy of the time spent investing one's mind. Think about things that are weighty. Think about things that are dignified. Things that are that have gravity, that have meaning, that have significance, that are really true. Whatever is just. Dikeia. It means what is right and just, not in the eyes of men, but in the eyes of God. That conform to his being, his character, his standard of righteousness. You know, there's, there's a great deal of discussion today, seemingly in every sector of society, on the subject of justice. And much of it is characterized by personal opinion, personal prejudice, bias, animus, confusion, and outright falsehood. And if we want to understand justice in order to do justly, then we'll need to fix our minds on the Word of God, whatever is just. And the next is whatever is pure, hegna. It, it means chaste, undefiled, unadulterated, uncontaminated, morally and ethically pure, inside and out. You know, there used to be a, a saying, a phrase that was used in the computer in- industry, G-I-G-O. It stood for garbage in, garbage out. And what you program into a computer is, is fundamentally what it will give you back. Our minds are the same way. Feed your mind on garbage, and your mind will produce garbage. Your life will produce garbage. Feed your mind on what is pure, and you'll experience a heightened revulsion at what is impure. And your thoughts and feelings will become increasingly pure. Next, Paul lists whatever is lovely, prosphile. Yeah, it's just an interesting word. It's a compound word. Pros means toward. File is a shortened version of phileo, which is brotherly love. Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. Phileo. And so this word prosphile or prosphile means toward love, toward brotherly love. It describes what those things that are inspiring of love and of affection between friends and family, even, even love toward your enemy. It also means those things that are pleasing and acceptable, things that are, that give you, if you, if you, if you will, warm fuzzies. <laughs> And next, Paul lists whatever's commendable, euphema. It, it means admirable, respectable, of good re- reputation. Literally, it means of good reputation. And as I, as I thought about this verse this week and all this list, I began to realize that Paul is painting a picture. He's painting a, a broad picture of the kinds of things we ought to feed our minds on. But it's not an exhaustive list. And so these last two, I think, are kind of... Paul's thinking, I probably forgot some things, so let's just do this. If there is any excellence... (laughs) Arete, excellence, 
moral and spiritual excellence, goodness, virtue, if, if anything that fits into that category, think on those things. If there's anything worthy of praise, epinos, which means laudable, praiseworthy, whether it's praiseworthy in God or praiseworthy in human beings. Think about what is worthy of praise, not what is worthy of scorn. Don't spend your mind there, Paul says. The second command in verse, well, let me back up. What's Paul saying? He's saying, look, the things you fix your mind on will determine your experience of peace. The peace of God and the presence of the God of peace. If you want to, if, if you want to experience peace, think about those things that lead to peace, inwardly, outwardly. Second command in verse 9 is practice these things. Practice these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Here I think Paul is saying, not only does your mind matter, but your models matter. In this case, your role models matter. You remember that we saw last week Paul was willing to say to the Corinthians, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And there are people that look at that and they say, well, what, a, what an arrogant statement that is. You know, I'm the model. But Paul understood that in a role of leadership, models are necessary. Being a role model is necessary. It certainly was in that first century as the church was spreading and Paul was one of the key players in the spread of the gospel and the establishment of churches around the Mediterranean Sea. Paul was willing to say, look, I'm going to pursue Christ. I'm going to imitate him. I'm going to emulate him. I'm going to pattern my life after him. And so because that is true, here's what you can do. You can pattern your life after me. We saw again last week, and we remembered Philippians 3, a chapter back where Paul said, brothers, join in imitating me. Sometimes we hear that word imitate, and we think of a cheap imitation, just kind of a cheap knockoff, right? But that's not what Paul is saying here. He's, he's presenting himself as a role model. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Us meaning Paul and and the apostles and the apostolic missionary teams. And what I think is interesting is that, and this is what struck me this week, is that Paul's, Paul's inviting really a, a kind of a 360 degree scrutiny, first of all, examine my life, and then he's offering a 360 degree emulation what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Well, let's look briefly at those words. The first one is learned. And it has to do with the content of a person's worldview and therefore of their teaching and their influence. What is your perspective 
role model, as you're examining someone and considering someone to be someone that you would pattern your life after, what is their worldview? Is it godly? Is it biblical? Is it doctrinally sound? Are they a person worth following? Are they going to take you anywhere important? Second word is received. And that has not only to do with what they're teaching, but what they're teaching that you consciously and volitionally choose to embrace and to internalize. And again, when you're evaluating a prospective role model, are you willing to swallow down what they're serving up? Important question. The third word is heard. It has to do with what you hear them saying in their everyday conversation. What do they talk about when they're not on stage, when they're off the clock? Is there a consistency between the public person and the private one? Do they have integrity? Are they cut from whole cloth? And then finally, seen has to do with your observation of their conduct. Does their conduct bear consistency with their conversation? What is it about what you see them doing that you're willing to emulate and replicate in your personal lifestyle? Those are high standards. Those are high challenges for all of us. Paul says, look, if you're willing to take what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me and practice them, Here's what I can confidently promise you. The God of peace will be with you. You will experience the presence of the God who himself is peace. So your mind matters and your models matter to your experience of inward peace and to the collective peace of the church, the body of Christ. May we be discerning men and women, young people whose minds and hearts are informed by the divinely inspired and authoritative Word of God. This morning, it's going to be our privilege to participate together in communion, the Lord's table. At his table, we affirm together what Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, for he himself is our peace. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for these challenges that we would be careful that we would be disciplined in the investment of our minds that we would be wise in our choice of role models that we Lord would experience your presence and the peace that attends it because you give peace, not like the world gives, but a peace that surpasses all understanding. So we don't have to live with troubled hearts, even in difficult times, because you are with us, you are in us, and we will see you again. And we give thanks in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.